Hi, this is the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Cranson. Once again, part two of this discussion that I began last week with the pollster Richard Juba about roads and perceptions of roads and funding, which is not unique to Michigan. It's been a challenge uh, at the federal level and in every state at one time or another. And I'm pleased to have Susan Howard, who is the policy director at the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials, also known as AASHTO. Uh, We've spoken about these issues before. She uh, has studied this for a long time and knows a lot about what works and what doesn't work. So Susan, thanks for taking time to, to talk again. Oh, my pleasure. So you you saw the, the Michigan polling and the data that I spoke to, to Richard about. Give me your thoughts, whether that's, you know, a little bit contradictory to what you've seen at the national level or if it dovetails with what you you know and know from your experience. Just, uh, you know, give me your high level view. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think the the poll is very interesting. I think that some of what we've seen historically is that there's not a direct link in like voters' minds between, you know, um, action on transportation spending initiatives and you know the, you know how they're going to vote at the ballot box to, for state legislative races and things like that. Um, so th- there's been some studies around that, like looking at different ballot initiatives or different, um, in fact, different. Um, you know, elections where um, at different levels of government, there's been action to fund, to do transportation funding. And like, did that, you know, did it result in a groundswell of, you know, um, uh, you know, certain decisions made at the ballot box on, um, on the kind of ramifications of that. And generally there hasn't been too much of a nexus there in terms of, of that direct tie. And so the message from that has been like, okay, you know, state legislatures and others, even Congress, you know, be brave, take the vote. Um, It won't have the political consequences that you think it might. Um, If you show people, if you demonstrate to the voters and the citizens what you're going to get from the the increase you're proposing, they'll often go along with it or won't hold you accountable for, for, um, you know, increasing the gasoline tax or doing other spending initiatives. At the federal level, I mean, we've seen a lot of hand-wringing about the vote last year on the IIJA and the very small number of Republicans in the House who supported it and who many of whom are now facing um, or have faced primary challenges. So it's very much a – it took on a, a higher level um, – sort of a higher visibility, I think, with the IIJA vote for reasons, probably just in terms of like want, not wanting to see the administration get a quote unquote win on something. So it's gotten a little bit more political, um, at, at least in the, at the federal level in the context of the IIJA. Yeah, because the IIJA wasn't like tied to a, a specific tax increase. I mean, I guess you could make your arguments about government spending overall, but you weren't burdening the taxpayers with a specific new tax because of it. So. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's interesting. Talk a little bit about that history. You know, for a long time, a lot of states tried to educate their their uh, constituents on, you know, what the donor state thing meant. And that's became kind of ensconced in people's mindsets in Michigan, for instance, you know, that we're a donor state. We never get back from the federal level. Well, that's really a myth now. That hasn't been the case in a long time because the trust fund has been 
basically broke and the general fund has been used to prop it up, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there really, there really are, I don't want to say there's no donor states. I think Texas would make the argument that they still are a donor state, but we do not have that dichotomy in the same way anymore. And you're exactly right. It's because since 2008, when we had our first highway trust fund crisis, we, the, the Congress has taken action to move general fund revenue over to the trust fund to keep it solvent, you know, billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, I mean, the, the IJA, I think it was 118, um, $118 billion to keep the trust fund solvent for the life of the bill. So when the vast, well, not the majority, but when the trust fund is being supplanted by general fund revenue, um, there's not the same direct nexus between what's individual and individuals are paying into the gasoline tax and then what the state's contribution is to that bigger pot, you know, from their, from their users. Um, it's just not the same calculation as it used to be um, because we're, we're moving away from a fully, a full user pay system, as we call it. You know, a user pay system is one where um, there's contributions to the asset um, by the people that are using it. Um, but with more and more general fund revenue propping up federal transportation investment, that's just not the case anymore. And the federal gas tax has been the same since what, 93 or 94? Yeah, 1993. Okay, so what else costs the same thing now that it did in 1993? You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We uh, we sometimes use a little chart that shows how the cost of everything from a movie ticket to college education to healthcare, what, what changes we've seen in those um, household expenses, so to speak, since 1993 when you compare it to the flat gasoline tax. So is the is the model, you know, just broken or outdated? I mean, what do you think about the, I mean, talk a little bit about the origins of the Highway Trust Fund and how it came to be and, you know, what the debate is ongoing with some people out there. And I don't know if it's a, a fringe or not that argue for devolution and just want to kind of turn everything back to the states to figure out for themselves. Right, right. Well, We've had the Highway Trust Fund since 1956, and it was the genesis of it really was the need to build complete, build and complete the interstate system. So we dedicated this revenue from motor fuel taxes, both gasoline and diesel taxes, um, to a, a dedicated Highway Trust Fund. I mean, transportation is very unique at the federal level that it has this um this trust fund that is only used for transportation spending. Um, so there were increases to that contribution over the year, but I mean, about 90% of the highway trust fund is, is comes from those motor fuel taxes. There's a few other things. So it really is dependent upon this, you know, per gallon gasoline and diesel um, tax that we have. Um, and so, you know, as it's remained flat, it's spending power has decreased. We've seen more and more, as you said, um, transfer, as we mentioned earlier, transfers from the general fund to keep the highway trust fund solvent, to keep the spending commitments essentially that are made at the federal level. So when you have a bill like the IJA that's huge, um, you needed that $118 billion to fulfill the promises, <laughs> the spending that was promised in that bill. Um, so devolution is, you know, it's it's interesting. It, it pops up every now and then, but it's certainly, I would say, more of a, a fringe idea. There's usually a couple of congressmen or senators who advocate for it. But it has not really had um, the sustained, you know, interest over the years. The one thing, I mean, I think we, I, you know, we kind of have been at a crisis point for for over a decade now. But 
there might, you know, it's there's a chance that we may need to do another um, fix for the trust fund before this bill um, runs its course. I have heard, you know, I don't know exactly when it would be, but as the as the IJA winds down, that sometimes happens. You you have to do another sort of emergency transfer to keep the fund, I mean, keep the highway trust fund going. Um, the other thing that gets discussed a lot is should transportation be considered along with other domestic discretionary spending programs and not have a dedicated revenue source anymore. I mean, if that was the case, if we if we didn't have the trust fund anymore, um, transportation would be in the same kind of pot as education spending and veterans spending and health care, health research and, you know, all of the domestic discretionary programs that Congress funds through the appropriations process each year. Um, transportation has always been unique because projects take several years to fund and you need dedicated revenue. That's why we get a five-year reauthorization bill with contract authority laid out. I mean, we have to have the appropriations each year to, to obligate that funding, but it, you know, it, the trust fund, the, the establishment of the trust fund and the way that we fund transportation at the federal level has recognized the need for dedicated and sustained revenue. If we were competing through the annual appropriations process against other domestic priorities, I think some people question how well transportation would do. So it would put us in a little bit more of a vulnerable, vulnerable position. But there has been some talk about that as sort of like, you know, maybe that's ultimately where where we'll end up if the trust fund is just no longer viable. And there's no appetite to, um, you know, raise the gasoline tax or find another funding mechanism. Stick around, there's more to come right after this short message. Know before you go. Head on over to MyDrive to check out the latest on road construction and possible delays along your route. For a detailed map, head over to michigan.gov drive. So blue sky, you know, let's think of this, Susan Howard, you're, you know, queen for a day and you get to restructure this whole thing in a way that is, is more sustainable. Um, and you know, just just better all the way around. What what would you do? Well, I think that the common accepted kind of way of the future, and again, this is Susan speaking, not necessarily Ashto, but I think the conventional wisdom and accepted sort of course for the future is moving away from the gasoline tax as the method for funding transportation and to a, a mileage based fee, where um, it would really be agnostic in terms of the type of vehicle you're driving, and you would pay. Per mile rather than um, a per gallon tax. Um, I mean, this would address a few things, you know, vehicle efficiency. I mean, one of the reasons that the gasoline tax has been, you know, it's, it's purchasing power has been declining is we have more and more fuel efficient vehicles, which is better for the environment um, and better overall. Um, and then the rise of electric vehicles, how electric vehicles are contributing to the system, given that they aren't paying into the gasoline tax um, has been a concern. So a road a road usage charge or mileage-based fee would certainly address those concerns, and it would be more sustainable over time. Um, this the huge push for the administration to build out charging stations across the country. Um, you know that number is going to tick up. You know commitments from manufacturers um, to make more electric vehicles. So I think that um, I just don't know how soon we'll get there um, at the national level, but um, we have operational. Um, programs in three states now, uh, Virginia, uh, Oregon, and Utah. Um, but there's a long way to go in terms of getting that scaled up to the national level, administrative things to figure out, data security and privacy. Um, but 
there's um you know there's movement there's movement in the IJA toward that with the um, establishment of a a national pilot it hasn't gotten underway yet but um, we could see that in the life of this bill and that could be the the way forward. Yeah, in Michigan we have a legislative mandated study going on on tolling, but there's been discussion of adding in or separately pursuing something on mileage-based user fees. And I, I think it's it's probably a good idea. I think there's another myth out there uh, among people that the electric vehicles must not be as hard on the roads when, in fact, um, they're, you know, about the same as an internal combustion passenger vehicle and actually maybe a little heavier, um, but not probably, you know, heavy enough to make a dent like trucks do. But still, I think yeah. people think I think I'm not doing as much damage, so I shouldn't have to pay as much. And it's that's just that's a myth. So. Right. We have absolutely, and we would we would need to to look at a pricing structure that recognizes the impact that different types of vehicles have on the road. Um, we don't really have that. We've used the gasoline tax as a proxy because if your if your car is heavier and it, it uses more fuel, <laughs> so you pay you end up paying more because you're just paying more when you fill up your tank and more. You know. More is going to um, I mean more gallons means more of that eighteen point three cents going into the trust fund. But yeah, I think that that would need to be looked at um, when we start thinking about how to how to price um, a road usage charge. So, do you think we could ever get to a point where <laughs> you know you've heard me discuss before that I think we should take this out of lawmakers' hands and do it like a public utilities commission, the way most states regulate. Yeah. utility fees, you know, and we don't ask lawmakers to keep the lights on. So why do we ask them to keep the roads up to grade? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's certainly possible. I mean, I think that some of the some of the work that's going on right now with the how state DOTs are going to be partnering with utilities um, inevitably to to do this um, electric vehicle charging infrastructure might might prove to have some good lessons there. Um, it's a different it's going to be a different rate structure and different nexus and calculus when we're talking about um, charging electric vehicles. So yeah, maybe there's more parallels with the utilities to come that we're that we'll that we'll see down the road. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very interested in that because I just think that as long as we're relying on this, it's always going to be a political football and it's just always going to be very difficult. Um, nobody yeah. wants to take the tax vote. Yep. So what else do you see coming, I guess, in terms of, you know, broader policy discussions. Uh, I know it's hard to say now what Congress is going to look like in the next session, but, um, you know, knowing what the administration is pushing, what Secretary Buttigieg is interested in, what are you kind of keeping your eye on? Well, we're very focused on implementation of the IIJA, and that includes a lot of different things, but on the on the policy side, quite a lot of new programs that, um, you know, almost a year into the bill, we're beginning to see uh, requests for information, requests for comments, and rulemakings coming out. Um, there's a number of discretion, of substantial discretionary grant programs that we'll see rolled out soon. Um, but expect in the next couple months, when we hit the one-year anniversary of the IIJA, to have a lot, lots of um, pomp and circumstance. I would imagine around that and and touting the successes. Um, and uh, there certainly have been a lot of milestones achieved so far. But I really think you know it, there's a lot of we have been so focused on the funding, but there is a lot of policy in the bill, and we're getting to the point now where more and more of that will be um, will be coming, and so that'll keep us busy for the next few years for sure. What do you think about, um, you know, speaking of those discretionary grants, you know, MDOT received a $105 million infra grant 
and the secretary was in Detroit last week with the governor and the mayor of Detroit to celebrate that because uh, it's a major project to remove the I-375 kind of ditch freeway, replace it with an at-grade boulevard with you know multimodal opportunities yeah. and all kinds of connections and and that's a that's a real priority of the secretaries. Um, so tell me your thoughts on on that and whether you see that becoming you know more popular around the country. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's a it's certainly a um, priority for the administration to see projects that are that are bold, that are multimodal, that are doing more than just you know um, rehabbing and replacing existing infrastructure. To think about transportation's impacts um, on the quality of life and and movement of people on economic development, all of that stuff. So yes, I, and I think that that's shifting within the state DOTs as well. Um, you know, we have responsibilities that we have, you know, we have to keep our system safe and operational. A lot of that is not big, splashy <laughs> projects. A lot of it is the routine day-to-day stuff that we that we do to operate and maintain the system. But certainly, I think as, you know, um, I think CTOTs are thinking about a lot of these big projects in new ways. We're getting, getting populations involved in the engagement process that we maybe didn't as much in the past. And it's a big focus for this administration, but I think it'll be a legacy for the future. I mean, I I, I think that they're laying they're laying the groundwork for, I think, um, how we'll look at transportation in the future, and certainly some of these discretionary grant programs, and even and even projects that are done through formula funds. I think, I and mean, we don't we shouldn't discount that either. The 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 um, those federal dollars that states have discretion over, um, there'll be some real landmark projects hopefully, and um, will we'll help us see of the future way for, for transportation in our country. Very well said. Um, thank you, Susan, for taking time to talk about these things. Uh, we'll be talking more, like you said, as IAGA uh, marks a milestone and there's other you know celebrations and other grants that are awarded. There's gonna be a lot more to talk about on this front. So I look forward to talking with you again. Thanks so much, Jeff. Great to talk to you. Thank you again for listening to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I also want to thank Randy Debler for his work producing this week's podcast. Jesse Ball, Embed Social Media Coordinator, who proofreads the show notes and helps with all kinds of things uh, related to getting this done every week. And Courtney Bates, who does a great job putting the podcast together in a format so it can be posted in Sarah Canucks Connect in our office, who also helps with the production and the transcription of the podcast.